Welcome to Leo Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip DeBlock and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And uh, let me go ahead and introduce our crew to you guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show. Uh, we have attorney and former federal prosecutor, Ward Mythaller, and all retired this evening. Uh, we have uh, Captain Brett Bartlett, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. We have Corporal David D. Gresta. We might soon be joined by Officer Andrew Casal, and we have producer Will Statzer. So uh, thanks, guys, for uh, being on here. Appreciate it. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have uh, MyMedicare.Live, Galls, Extraduty Solutions, GunLearn.com, and Guardian Alliance Technologies. And we're also powered by Pexip. Um, wow, what, a, uh, what an amazing uh, week that we've had. And uh, man, what videos we have to cover this evening for you guys. So um, got everything up on YouTube, on our YouTube channel at Leo Roundtable. So make sure you guys check that out in case you want to look at the videos before, during, or after the show, especially for our radio listeners. Uh, so starting off here, we have a, a good main topic. It's one of our favorites, Ken Wallentine. And it's an interesting article titled, Use of Two-Step Interrogation Technique Results in Murder Conviction Reversal. Um, and uh, it's people versus uh, Suma Gang. And, you know, I, it, this is, I think it's an example of one of those articles, Ward, that um, a lot of the agencies are not going to filter this down to their troops, especially the smaller to medium-sized agencies, um, unless they got really good connections with the DA's office or, uh, or state attorney's office. And not to get uh, uh, too heavy into this, I mean, it's a technique that I've used, you know, as a, uh, as a detective um, before, but of course the rulings have changed, but our our uh, bad guy was booked into the county jail, Suma Gang, and it says two days later, a detective um, interviewed him in two different stages. The first detective, um, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the detective at first interviewed him for 25 minutes, did not give him his Miranda warning. And, and of course, for those watching the show who are not law enforcement, Miranda just only becomes important, you know, when you want to use what someone's saying against them in the court of law. If you're not planning on using anything, then Miranda just really isn't that doesn't really matter. It's not like you have to Mirandaize everybody that you arrest. But after this 25 minute interview, the detective then takes a two minute break and then he gives the Miranda warnings and he begins a second interrogation, which lasted 45 minutes. So remember the first one was 25 minutes and the second one after Miranda was 45 minutes. And this is of course, is you know the late investigation he was already you know um made statements to the originating arresting officer that put this guy in jail in the first place so it says that during both sessions our bad guy admits to choking uh um sanko um a female his girlfriend long story but until she stopped breathing or moving so he made those admissions in both interviews and also during the arrest as well now the united states supreme court ruled that an intentional quote, um, question first, Miranda second technique, it generally renders the confession admissible, and that's uh, Missouri versus a cyber. And it says that that case is a plurality decision, meaning that lower courts should generally follow the narrowest possible rule for the decision. Now, in Missouri versus cyber, the plurality opinion, it stated that any question first, warn later interrogation technique, it violates the Constitution, but only for the justices agreed. I'll let you guys read the article that'll be under the videos that producer will pull it up in order to read, you know, the, you know, more information on that, uh, why they didn't all go for it. But in several federal court uh, courts of appeals, judges have already held that the question first 
warn later technique, it may not be fatal to admission of a confession when officers uh, do not intentionally break the rules. But nonetheless, other courts disagree and take a harsh line, according to the article, in any question first warn later case. It also says that the uh, second interrogation is presumed to produce involuntary statements. Uh, Sumagang, our bad guy, asked the trial court to suppress his confession. Trial court ruled that the first interrogation was inadmissible except for impeachment purposes, but the court allowed the post-warning interrogation, uh, the second one to be presented in the prosecution. So then the Ninth Circuit actually reverses. They hold that the bad guy was prejudiced by the admission of the confession at trial. The appellate court um, said that the detective deliberately, not just a serious accusation, they said he deliberately violated Miranda principles by employing the two-step interrogation tactic and that there was no substantial evidence to show the detective's error was innocent. Um, it goes on to say that the detective explained himself. I was satisfied with his explanation that it was not intentional. And it closes by saying that the two-step interrogation technique, it's always legally risky. And hopefully, you know, Ward can address that. So so that's the article. Um, I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. And, uh, and Ward, you especially, what you have to say about it. Um, so any takers on this? Ward, do you want to start us off? Uh, first of all, there's a mistake in the uh, article. This is not, it is not a Ninth Circuit opinion. It's actually a California appellate case for the sixth uh, district there, the, the appellate system. You'll see it in the site. And I actually read the opinion, so it, it's just a mistake. I'm not so sure I agree with, I also am not so sure I agree with Wallentine when he says that intentional question first, Miranda second technique generally renders the confession inadmissible. It's kind of a half cup, empty, half cup full type thing. Sometimes it's admissible, sometimes it isn't. Uh, and it all depends. The decision that allows this, the one you mentioned, Cybert, uh, or disallows it, for Justin, there's a five, five court majority that said the confession there was no good, but four of the justices said that for it to be admissible, it had the, the Miranda warning has to satisfy uh, what an original Miranda warning was intended to do, and there's a bunch of factors that you take into account for that. Justice Kennedy had a much more narrow uh, interpretation, and his interpretation was unless he's, unless it's admissible unless the officers are purposely trying to undermine Miranda, and it's easier to get around that standard than the other one. And what the court did here is it, it basically said that what is there, whatever standard you use uh, uh, there was a violation under either standard. I, I happen to think that's right. Uh, the big issue is whether um, there's enough of a break so that the person clearly understands that what he said before doesn't require him to keep talking. All right, excellent. Thank you, Ward. Appreciate you breaking it down. Captain Brett. You know, it, it seems to me when these guys are looking at a, at a dead body in the car and a suspect laying on top of them, they'd be extra careful to not do anything to jeopardize that case. Um, and I've never heard of two-step. I've never, and I've interviewed a lot of people. It was always this, you, you, you talk until you feel you have probable cause and then you Mirandize. Uh, so I never heard of the two-step um, and I, I wouldn't advocate it. Now, of course, if, if you're uh, talking to a guy about stealing a bike and you make a mistake, it's, you know, it's not that big of a thing, but you know, there's, there's dead people in the car where this guy was found and they're asking them about the thing and they're not Mirandized. They're just, they're just asking to lose the case. Yeah, well, I, I think the problem, uh, Brad, is that just a lot of guys, it just doesn't filter down. I knew back in the old days, I started my career, you know, a long time ago, but back, you know, the guys, 
you know, if you start off a conversation, uh, obviously if you get there and you think you, you know, you, you, you think you know what happened, but you don't, you still need to, you know, talk to the bad guy. Uh, but the longer you talk to him, you know, until you say, give those Miranda rights. And then a lot of guys just like, you know, shut down at that point. Um, well, so obviously, you're right, but, but there, but there's talking to a guy and then there's questioning the guy. You can dance all around the topic. You know, you can dance all around, but if you ask specific questions, you know, it has to be done. Now, if he blurts out, yeah, I killed him. Okay, well, great. I didn't ask a question, but now I'm going to Mirandize because now I'm going to re-ask and I'm going to ask other things. It just seems to me that they were just they were just uh, taking a huge chance here. Yeah, I just think that. Um, and, and Ward, I, I see your mic's open. I I don't think that. Uh, look, there may be guys that do it intentionally. I certainly hope not. I just think that a lot of the information is not filtered down. I think guys are just thinking like, man, I can Mirandize this guy at any time. I'm going to build a rapport with them, like like they used to do in the old days. And and then at the point in time you give them Miranda. You know what he said. You can't use it against him, and, he, and you try to get him to say it again. But of course, in today's standard, of course, that's you know working around the rule, which is which is you know not cool. Um, Ward, in the old days, I think it was probably acceptable. Uh, there was a Supreme Court case that allowed you to do that. That case was based on a on an unintentional violation of Miranda, and along came Cybert that dealt with the intentional violation. Um, I have trouble believing the detective here when he said that he didn't realize uh, he was violating Miranda rights by not, not giving Miranda warnings. It's, it's, it's just like Brett said. I mean, it was very clear that this guy was going to be, there was probable cause to, uh, to believe there was a murder. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Anybody else on this one? If not, we'll go ahead and move to our next one. I've got just over a minute uh, before we're going to take our first commercial break. And uh, I think I, is that Andrea that I see there? Yes, Andrea Cassell made it. The video is working. So nice to see the, 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 uh, the appeal of our crew has just improved. So thank you, Andrea, for being here. So uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, listeners and viewers that'll stay on longer because of you. Uh, so let's move to an update real quick here. Um, this is on Police One and also policetribune.com. It's COVID mandate news from around the country. I go into a little bit more detail on a couple of these articles. I'm not gonna be able to get through everything before we do the commercial break, uh, but let's jump to San Diego real quick. I think both of these are in California. In San Diego, it's titled, um, San Diego to move forward with Vax mandate despite impasse with the police union. And um, it's got some interesting information on here. And now, according to city figures, around 60% of San Diego police officers uh, have been vaccinated as of November the 17th. Now, Mayor Todd Gloria on Monday will ask the city council, which is today, to move forward with the mandate, which the city announced in late August, despite an impasse with the San Diego Police Officers Association over the requirements. And uh, here's a quote. Uh, from the mayor saying that the way out of this pandemic is through vaccines and the city of San Diego will lead by example with city employees regularly interacting with members of the public. The vaccination mandate takes an even uh, takes on even more necessity, not only to protect the public, but also to protect the city workers. Let's take a commercial break and we'll be right back.
right, so look, let's talk about Medicare. Yes, a lot of us are getting to that age now, uh, especially if you're in Florida and especially like Hillsborough County or like the villages in Florida. Pay close attention because there's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County, Florida alone on Medicare. Now, the benefits, they can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits that are specific for your health care needs? Now, you can contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656 and talk to James or Bobby. They'll meet you in person. They'll save you money on medication, medication co-pays. They'll help you find plans that your doctors actually accept, and they'll get you more of the benefits that you actually qualify for. So again, that's 813-245-6656 or MyMedicare.Live. Live. Also, Galls, Galls.com, pretty much everything that you need except for guns and ammunition. And man, they've got all kinds of specials um, that have been going on for the holidays. I strongly recommend. In fact, Brett, I was getting so many email notices from Galls. I was having uh, trouble uh, uh, keeping up with all the specials they were having on, uh, on, you know, pants and boots and all kinds of stuff. So check them out, guys, at Galls.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. It says during the months of negotiations, the union called for the city to give employees the option to undergo testing instead of the vaccination. And I'm assuming that it's to see if they have the antibodies from having natural immunity. And uh, they also wanted them to consider progressive dis disciplinary steps, uh, commit to finding reasonable accommodations for requests for exemptions, appeals process, all that kind of stuff. And as of November the 17th, the city had received 249 requests for exemptions. Now, after Wednesday's vaccine mandate deadline, the city will send employees who are not in compliance with the, uh, um, with the mandate uh, an advance notice of termination. It'll give them 30 days to comply or take leave of absence without pay, retire or resign. Otherwise, they'll terminate the employee. So that's what's going on there. And also, let's jump to the LA Fire Department. LA. Now, we're still in California. It's a funny story. Um, Los Angeles, uh, a firefighter has been placed on paid leave. Um, he's with the fire department, not the police, but they are brothers. And uh, he, they're investigating allegations that he dropped his pants and wiped his butt with a vaccination compliance notice that he was given by a supervisor. So the incident occurred on November the 18th at LAFD Fire Station number 69 in Pacific uh, Palisades after the firefighter was given the compliance notice, instructing him to provide proof of vaccination by December the 18th. And this was in the Los Angeles Times. Now, the city workers who refuse to sign the notices, they're taken off-duty, won't be paid, uh, while they wait to get a notice of separation. Um, now, the uh, Stentorians of Los Angeles City, it's a group of African-American firefighters, they actually filed a complaint with the Board of Fire Commissioners about the firefighters, quote, horrific display of unprofessionalism. This gets better, David. The complaint said that when the firefighter was handed the notice, he dropped his pants, wiped his butt with the noncompliance letter. And yes, it still gets better. The Stentorians complaint alleged that the firefighter he left fecal matter on the document and he dropped it to the ground. And here's a quote saying that the LA city centurions are sickened and disgusted by this horrific display of unprofessionalism. Uh, to date, we have not heard from anyone from the LAFD administration condemning the act of blatant disrespect and harassment. Now, the statement was released by the Stentorians and included a picture of a man that was actually appeared to be holding the soiled letter. I wonder who that guy was. And then the group said that the, um, the fire, a fire captain and a chief officer witnessed the, quote, disgusting stunt. So 
there you have it. Ward, it's almost, yeah, I'm almost waiting for you to throw in some disguise like a firefighter hat and the act like you may be, the, you know what I'm saying? I'm just expecting you to come up with something. I'm waiting for you to reach down and pull a firefighter hat to act like holding up a dirty note or something, but you haven't done it yet. So, but don't disappoint me. Captain Brett, you're up. Um, first, good for him. He just did <laughs> what everybody's been thinking about doing. Okay, <laughs> wiping, wiping your butt with a useless piece of crap paper. But he did. He shouldn't have done it. So he needs to, you know, he needs to spend some time on the porch or whatever. So, all right. So back to the mandatory thing. Uh, and, and this is addressed to Ward. And, and one of our uh, listeners, Jeff, wrote in 1904, the Supreme Court ruled on vaccines. My question is, and maybe Ward can answer it. Was that was that a definitive ruling, and would there be any benefit for the Supreme Court to step in right now with all this stuff going on and give us a yes or give us a no? Well, I don't know. I can't answer your question about the past ruling. I don't know if um, if Ward well, can, but I was hoping he would. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it was in 1905. The Supreme Court ruled that the city of Cambridge was allowed to mandate a smallpox a vaccine about. 15, 20 years, 17 years later, they affirmed that in a different ruling, and I forget where it was or what it's about. Things have changed a lot since then. Uh, the whole analysis of individual rights has changed. I think I think the it, uh, uh, rights have become stronger for individuals. Uh, so far, the courts have been uh, pretty deferential to mandates, uh, at least when it comes to cities. The courts have not been very excited about what Biden's doing in, because of the executive overreach so they they stopped the uh, the fifth circuit stopped the uh, uh the big one we talked about before and just recently a judge in california also stopped one involving medicare workers i think that the supreme court won't step in until there's a ruling by the uh, what was the fifth circuit it's now the sixth circuit that has the case that we talked about before so yeah it would be helpful if they rule but there's all different issues i mean what what can a state do to its own employees what can the state do in terms of requiring private private people to do it? I mean, I think private employers, myself, because I'm conservative, should be allowed to do what they want. So I, I, I don't agree with making private employers have a mandate, and I don't agree with the governor of Florida uh, saying they can't have a mandate. So I, I think we're going to have to wait and see a while before the Supreme Court gets involved in it. Well, Brett, that answer your question enough, or...? Yeah, it does. I just want to say that this is the biggest thing to happen in our in our lifetime, I think, the biggest upset. You'd think that somebody would take it straight. Again, I don't know the procedure. Somebody would take it straight to the Supreme Court and go, look, our nation is in, in turmoil. It's an upward. This is what you people are good at. Here's the case, whether it's broad or narrow, tell us. But I'm done with it. Yeah. Hey. Well, the, the Supreme ahead, Court Mark. twice now has turned down petitions uh, that have basically with the result that it's upheld what the federal courts have done in permitting um, mandates when it came to state employees or or people who went to Indiana University, for example. Yeah, and, and, and I know we have had courts, you know, involved in this. We've had court decisions that we covered it on the show. Um, but I also know that, you know, the the I know we're talking about masks. We're talking about vaccine mandates. We're talking about a lot of different things. But remember, the vaccine hasn't even been out you know, a year yet. That'll be next next month in December. So, and we're still getting new data to come in. So I I suspect that the Supreme Court is waiting for that right case with enough data and researchers out there in order for them to feel like they're making a good decision that will 
that will not be appealed and changed. So um, that's what I suspect. And uh, Andrea, I know you've got family members watching, and I know that you're doing your very best not to open up your microphone and engage because I know that they, I know there's controversy on this subject. So I, I feel your pain. I'll, I will say something. I will say that I think that um, there are still too many healthcare workers that are not vaccinated for them to really kind of rule on this. I think it's still controversial there, and they're not reporting a lot of the stuff that um, the vaccine is causing. All right. Thank you, Andrea. Guys, is there anybody else on that last topic, the uh, mandates? And if not, it's time to get you some good videos. And David, this is this is where this is David's wheelhouse. I'm expecting to hear a lot from you. Um, we're using a new source, uh, policetribune.com. And uh, and wow, it's got some good stuff on it. Uh, time for another commercial break, guys. We'll be right back. So, hey, I want to take a moment and tell you guys about our friends at Extra Duty Solutions. Now, inefficiencies can negatively affect your staff's production morale as well as your agency's reputation. But with proper oversight, your agency's extra duty, off-duty employment program, it can be profitable. Now, while you still control your program, Extra Duty Solutions, they administer it at no cost to your agency while taking on all the administrative burden, the insurance, and the financial risk. They keep the program fair and transparent, and they administer the program using your agency's own rules and protocols. So they paid out over $75 million in extra duty work over the past 12 months as well. So visit them today at extradutysolutions.com. Back to the Leo Roundtable Show. A gunman opens fire, shoots two NYPD cops, and wounded heroes fight back. Now, I've got, from observing the video, I've got a slightly different take than the way it was written. I think that they were using what a, a um, lieutenant or something with NYPD that was kind of given the play-by-play. -play, but um, this is in the Bronx. Security footage captured the moment when two NYPD detectives, or, or I'm sorry, officers were shot on Wednesday night while they were responding to reports of an armed suspect. So they knew this guy uh, potentially was armed. NYPD uh, Commissioner uh, Dermot Shea uh, said that the incident began at 8 p.m. November 24th when someone called 911 to report seeing a man with a gun. And the footage captured by security cameras showed the officers as they approached the man who matched the description provided by a 911 caller. And that's according to the WABC. The suspect was sitting out on a porch. He had his hands in his pockets uh, when the officers walked up. I think he was wearing what, like a hoodie, a sweatshirt. It looked like it was cold outside. And so the cops walk up on him. The video did not have any audio, uh, but the commissioner said the male officer asked the suspect to remove his hands from his pockets as they approached. And that was according to the New York Times. And I've got a lot of news agencies in here, so I'm going to have to give them credit wherever they throw in a piece of information. But Cop tells him to take his hands out of his pockets when he approaches, and that's when the suspect stands up, pulls out a semi-automatic handgun, kind of hard to see from the viewpoint of the camera, and he, it says that he opens fire on the officers, hitting them both, according to the WABC. 
it says that a female officer uh, was shot twice in the upper right arm, according to the commissioner. But actually, to me, David, it looked like um, she was shot after she took two shots at the suspect. It looked like a round came from his gun, hit her, and then she fired her third shot. Um, the male officer was shot in his right underarm area uh, with a bullet exiting his left chest, um, according to WABC. So it bypassed the vest. Despite their wounds, it says both officers continued to fight back against the gunmen. Female officer returned fire, hitting the suspect three times, they say. Uh, male officer wrestled the attacker to the ground um, and he held him there until additional officers, which would be another female officer, arrived on the scene, according to WNYW. The wounded officers and the 23-year-old gunman, they're all transported to St. Barnabas Hospital and the officers are expected to survive. The shooter is also expected to recover. The pistol was reported stolen in Georgia a year ago. And it says the female officer was shot, shot in the attack as a one-year NYPD veteran, also serves in the U.S. Armed Force Reserve. And the wounded male officer has been a member with the department for eight years. And only other thing I can add, Captain, is that when the, when the fight went down, and there's no audio, but you see the female officer that's there on the porch who, in my opinion, failed to engage other than finally shooting her gun. And I don't know, I'm looking at the video. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the rounds that she fired hit her male partner, but I see her hands go up to her face like this. And then I see her back away and not engage in the fight in, in the fight at all. But I'm just pointing that out. Um, but go ahead, Captain, start us off on this. We got six and a half minutes. I absolutely agree with, I was thinking the same thing, you know, but this is a, this is a tough one, very close, very close uh, uh, environment there. Everybody's close together, but when that bad guy came out, one officer, they exited screen left and she started firing the shots. I was thinking like you were thinking, holy crap, who's shooting who? You know, because it, what I would do after I controlled him, I'd go over and punch her right, the snot locker if she's shooting at me. It's just, you just can't do that. Um, and then here's what I noticed, and this is a recurring theme. On, on the radio, on the radio, how about taking care of the problem before you get on the radio? Here's what I'm thinking, this, this is very much a theory, okay? If you're not trained well in what to do, you you default to the radio because you know how to work a radio. And in the absence of a better thing, they go to the radio. That that was inappropriate. There was people already there with them. She didn't need to go to the radio. That guy, that fight was still underway on the other side of the camera. All right. Thanks, Captain. Lieutenant Randy Sutton, all the way from Las Vegas. The floor is oh. yours. Oh boy, I was watching that and I was thinking the same thing you guys were. Um, first of all, their their uh, tactical approach was horrendous. I mean, they're, they're there on a man with a gun call and they nonchalantly walk up on this guy who's got his hands in his pockets and engage him without even having their weapons drawn. Um, and she, uh, I was wondering the same thing. I, I, I was looking at her going, where, what are you doing? So we're all thinking the same things here. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that the NYPD put the heroic spin on this, but I think we're <laughs> lucky we don't have two dead cops. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a, a glass jar on David's desk with a molar in it, because I, I, I bet he lost at least one grinding watching that video. But, uh, but good coverage, guys, good comments, uh, appreciate it. If there's nobody else, I got we got a second video. We got a lot of really good videos, and we actually have a Las Vegas video that I can't wait to hear Randy's comment on. I hope we have time to get to that. But uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and move to this next one. Um, 
it's on Police One. And, and again, if you're listening to the show on the radio or on the podcast and you want to watch these videos, uh, go to our website, leoroundtable.com, our YouTube channel. And uh, producer Will takes this 90-minute uh, live show on Mondays, and he splits it up in the five different segments for Tuesday through Saturday. And he embeds the videos that we're talking about. Otherwise, you can go to our YouTube, our Facebook uh, channel and uh, our page called Leo Roundtable, and you can simply watch the videos there. Um, so this next one, it's titled uh, on Police One, You Need a Ride? That's a question. Man shoots a cop who offered help video shows. So this is in Hartford, Connecticut. So Hartford Police released this video on Monday. It shows an officer's close call with a gunman last month. Body cam video of the October 26th incident. It opens with the unnamed officer, and I bet I know why they didn't name her, um, asking a man off camera if he needs help. She says, do you need a ride? What's going on? Now, she's sitting inside of her marked police cruiser with the window down, conversing with this guy at 1.30 in the morning. And she then asks him if he's on medication or drunk and says, all right, you need an ambulance? Probably. All right. So she asks him to sit on the hood of her cruiser while she sits inside of her car and uh, asks for an ambulance. But moments later, you can hear her screaming and you can have her body camera and she's uh, screaming as a shot is fired and the driver's side window shatters. Now the officer who suffered abrasions on her face pulled the car forward. Mm -hmm. To me, it looked more like uh, drove away. And it's while the man runs off, it says that she kept her eyes on him and directed other responding officers to him who captured um, Jose Cages nearby and recovered the firearm that he was using uh, but that's what I that's what I saw. I mean, I have other comments on this, but I'm sure that, you know, Randy and the rest of you guys will cover better. So go ahead, Lieutenant, start us off. Then the captain, whoever else wants to join in. We have two and a half minutes. Are you kidding me? I was watching this going, what are you doing? What you just violated every single tenant of law enforcement survival that could ever take place. Is it because you, it was it, it was drizzling a little bit, and you were afraid of the raindrops. I mean, good Lord Almighty, you could how she survived is only because she had a little guardian angel who must have felt sorry for her because that was some horrendous tactical decision making. I can't imagine what what her coworkers are saying. So, Randy, let me ask you something. I'm going to go on a limb here, but I, I suspect that she would not be an invited uh, speaker at one of your <laughs> next summits that you have in Las Vegas next year. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just watching that, and I was shaking my head going, if you – everything that you could shouldn't do, you just did. That's, that is survival by chance. Wow, yeah. I cannot argue. Uh, Major Ron, we got a minute and a half. Yeah, quickly, I was just going to say that that should be used in, in um, the academy as what not to do because she did everything wrong. Um, you know, the fact that you didn't get out of the car, the fact that you're talking to him, you think he might be drunk or might be on drugs or something, you know, you should contemplate that. You have to have all these scenarios in your brain. What if you picked up a rock and threw it and hit you, hit you in the head? You know, much less a gun, a bullet, but, you know, she did the right thing, put the bad boy in reverse, but she should have drove over him. But other than that, it's just, it was horrible. It was horrendous. I, you know, her, I, I know they're giving her a whole lot of hell, and I know she she learned from it, and thank God she survived. But that was just dumb as dirt. That was, in my, yeah, from what I saw, that was lazy, lazy police work. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And she and just got so complacent, it just didn't matter. It was just a thing to do. 
Well, Andrea, thank you, Major Ron. The Major left you 15 seconds. <laughs> I was just going to say that, unfortunately, we all know some officers like this. Um, I used to know a few supervisors that thought that it was good police work just because they were, you know, saying hello, getting to know the people in their area. But I, I always stayed away and stayed close by for when the crap went down. All right. Thanks, Andrea. Captain Bartlett, the floor is yours. I was doing good watching that video when then she screamed. I had... I wish I had turned the volume down first because I'm still suffering from that. I think a water glass on my desk shattered when, when that happened. Hey, guys, let's do another commercial break. We'll be right back. So look, let's talk about industry leader in technology solutions for law enforcement, Guardian Alliance Technologies. Now their software will cut background investigators time in half. Now we know that there was a call for more accountability, uh, not only in hiring, but in also in selecting who gets to wear the badge. The Guardian has developed a CGIS compliant background investigative software platform that helps weed out problematic applicants in record time. With Guardian, the entire background check process, it's more comprehensive, but it's also much faster for both the agency and the applicants. There's no upfront fees or long-term commitments. I strongly recommend that you visit them today at guardianalliancetechnologies.com. Also, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. Gunlearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy. Gunlearn.com is the first and only company to offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And the training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. You can start today with online training or register to attend a live seminar. You can get free training for yourself and the personnel at your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. Well, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. And on a side note, uh, going back to Gauls, they're having a free shipping uh, sale too. So ship, shipping, a free shipping saves you a ton of money. So everybody take a look. You know, that's smart. That's smart because it, it kind of gives you the incentive, you know, to uh, to buy, buy, buy more, more, more. Weight doesn't matter. So it's a good deal. Gauls.com, guys. And, and Brett, I, I, I like the shirt. I know Lieutenant Randy loves the shirt because you're wearing his shirt. So and, you uh, you know, Randy, unmute that microphone and tell our users where they can uh, uh, get the shirt and support the movement again. Absolutely. Thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. That's our website. We are the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. And uh, Relentless Defender makes all of our clothing. So check it out. There's some great shirts and there's all kinds of new cool stuff coming out soon for Christmas for those people you love. I love it. I love it. You know, we were talking before the show. Randy was, you know, I know Randy's been, he's been on Fox News a lot, uh, Newsmax. Um, I remember recently, Randy, my wife is, you know, when you first started the show, I don't know, um, uh, you know, 
a month or two later, she's calling me in the room and telling me, Randy's on, you know, Randy's on TV. Dude, I kept waiting for you to get off the of Newsmax. You were on so long that I've got one of those older TVs in the other room and, you know, you've, you know, the screensaver didn't kick in and your image is permanently attached to the screen. I'm like, you were on her so long. I just embedded the image of you on Newsmax. And so no matter what I'm watching, I've got an image of, of Randy Sutton on there now. So thank you so much for that, Lieutenant. But well, I, I, can, I can tell you that I was on um, Neil Cavuto's show the other day and they, uh, they really let me go. I will not be on Rashid Tlaib's Christmas card list this year. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. you, are, you have something coming up that you can tell us about or our listeners about they can watch you uh, watch you yeah, at coming up? Actually, yeah, tomorrow I'll be on uh, Neil Cavuto's show again tomorrow. That would be the 30th, um, 1 p.m.-ish uh, Pacific time. All right, perfect. All right, guys, listeners, remember, you heard it here first. You guys can catch Randy there, so thank you. Um if there's nobody else on the last one, I've got an update that we're going to cover. And uh, let's see, uh, Police One and also PoliceTribune.com. Mayhem in liberals-run cities is what I call it. Uh, so let's start off uh, uh, in Minneapolis. So uh, groups of thieves, uh, they rush uh, Minnesota Best Buy stores on Black Friday. I'm sure you guys have heard about this. Both crimes occurred shortly after 8 p.m. on one of the busiest shopping days of the year following the Thanksgiving Day holiday. Police said a group of 20 to 30 people, they stole merchandise at the Burnsville store, while 10 to 12 adults and juveniles were said they have looted the Maplewood store. So, uh, wow, that's nice. And it says that several burglaries, of course, were reported in Chicago stores on Black Friday. There were smash and grab incidents reported earlier uh, this month, of course, at high-end brands at like Louis Vuitton in San Francisco area. And I also mentioned uh, uh, Nordstrom's as well. Walgreens recently said that it was closing several of its drug stores in San Francisco because of organized retail crime. Can't say I blame them. And now let's jump to Portland, one of our favorite areas. Uh, Portland rioters, they storm the Justice Center. They attack deputies with urine and projectiles. <laughs> yes. So hundreds of rioters, they descended on downtown Portland over the weekend and proceeded to smash windows, hurl objects at police, and discuss plans to burn down uh, Molnama County Justice Center. And it says that uh, Portland Police Bureau, uh, they reported that a group of riders blocked the street. I guess there was a motorist that called and he said they were blocking the street. They smashed windows on his car. Dozens of riders uh, then converged on the Justice Center, began focusing their attention on one of the uh, roll-up security gates that kind of leads to the jail. And uh, the sheriff's offices are involved in this. And, and Major Ron, I'm sure that you'll have some flashbacks of what happened with Hillsborough County, because I know you ran for Hillsborough County Sheriff right after the incident happened at Hillsborough County. It says that some individuals in the crowd were heard saying, burn it down, referring to the Justice Center. And then the mob managed to open the gate, and a group of 10 to 20 riders, they flooded down the ramp in the direction of the jail entrance and the uh, building critical infrastructure. They propped open the gate with large tree branches, and deputies made their way up the ramp, headed off the riders, advancing to the building, ordering them to get out. So they've got it under control because now they're ordering the riders to get out. So the crowd it described as hostile. They launched urine and alcoholic beverages. Now, I don't know, Brett, what that mix, I don't know why that ended up being together, but urine, alcohol, water bottles, and batteries, they, they hurl them at the deputies during the event. And they say that because this was a large group, 
engaged in this kind of conduct, they said that it was um, it was causing a risk of causing public alarm, and so they declared a riot. So that must have been one of the first solutions they came up with. So at the sheriff's office discretion, the mobile command center unit, they pull out the riot declaration, they force warnings uh, multiple times during uh, with a mobile sound truck. So of course, you would think that would solve the problem, right? Negative. Remember, this is Portland. They do everything backwards. The riders continue to hurl uh, projectiles at the deputies um, as they try to block them off from entering the Justice Center. Demonstrators, they stood on, a, I guess they stood at the garage exit, repeatedly prevented the gate from closing by pushing on it. Again, the deputies asked them to step away. It's just ridiculous. It's like watching Keystone cops. The riders ignore the repeated commands, continue to block the gate. They end up getting some of the some of the demonstrators away from the gate and finally get it closed. And they did not make any arrests, no arrests, just like what they did in Hillsborough County. And so then the riders also spray painted anti-police messages outside the Justice Center. Um, they bashed out windows in another area of the city of a print shop, shattered. Just look, there's all kinds of damage all over the city, trash fires, all kinds of crap going on. It's just, it's just ridiculous. But of course, we're talking about Portland. Captain Bartlett, three and a half minutes. Well, I feel bad for the cops who are having to go through that now. What I would love to see, and I, I bet everybody watching this show, listening show, would love this. That chief should I issue to those cops 36-inch wooden Jesus with permission to go out there and crack heads. This is just a sheriff's crack office head. now. I, I don't care. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's what that would be great because this this the, these bad guys are learning <clears throat> how far they can go, and until somebody stops that, it's going to get worse and worse. So here's what I do. Uh, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. 36 cents, wooden Jesus. Issue it to all the cops with, with a coupon with five free undocumented strikes. <laughs> if, it's, if it's Wednesday, you get 10 because it's two for one. And just tell them, go out there, go out there, find the one with the man bun, crack his noggin, and I'll bet some of this would stop. There has to be some learning. There has to be some pain felt by these people who are trying to hurt and kill these cops. If they don't feel pain, they will not stop. But Brett, and I know Lieutenant Randy is waiting to go, the the residents of Portland surrounding areas in the sheriff's office, you know, jurisdiction as well, they've elected the leaders that make these decisions and they're not putting new people in place. So I have to believe that they're happy with the law enforcement services, you know, that well, they're I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I'm not saying that my scenario, something that's ever going to happen, I'm just saying this, they get exactly what they vote for. I am not feeling their pain. If Portland burns to the ground, I am not feeling their pain. They allowed it to happen. Remember, the government does what the people want it to do. If the government in Portland, if the people want the government to let this happen, let it happen. But either, you know what, pick a side. Either get the, 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 the three foot long stick or just let them burn the place down. None of this half measure bull crap. Now that three foot long stick, Brett, is that according to your measurement or the standard definition of <laughs> three feet? Well, well, that was that was hurtful. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing later I'll forget you said that. <laughs> All right. We've got a minute. We got a minute and a half. We're closing out on this subject. It'll be the end of the first hour. Lieutenant Randy, uh, Ron, maybe Andrea, go ahead, guys. Close us out. Quick. This is a this is a headline. Portland leaders agree to spend millions more on police and public safety. The plan calls to hire back 25 retired police officers, buy body cams, and attract 200 more sworn officers. Their liberal nonsense is coming back to haunt them. But until they allow the cops to be cops, 
this is going to continue. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I know. We, we were talking about that last week. It's just it's just ridiculous. Uh, we got 50 uh, minutes, 50 seconds, I guess, before we close out this segment. Uh, Major Ron and Andrea, go ahead, guys. Andrea. OK, oh, I was going to say, um, just like uh, the captain said, you reap what you sow. This is what you will have bred and this is what you've allowed the community to think is OK. Um, it's called law and order, not law and disorder. But um, if you threw your feces or your urine on me, I think you have cootie crabs and claps. So I'm going to throw some hollow points at your ass. So don't do it. Don't feel safe doing it. And uh, don't ever feel comfortable. Um, when as soon as you hit that ramp, they should have at least if nothing else birdshot. They should have put some heat on your behind and, and show everyone in the in the community. You don't do that. That's not OK. We had the same thing go down here. And of course, all right. Thank you, Major. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Excellent, guys. Excellent content. Appreciate it. That is the end of the first half of our show. And uh, we got the second half coming up. I think I think uh, really all of our radio stations are carrying the full two hours now. So uh, so that is good news. So hang in there. We'll be right back with the second half. <laughs> 